Wonderful. Well, around this time last Sunday, I was in Mexico building a house, um, which I'm sure you'll hear more about on Father's Day. I'm looking forward to that. Um, unbeknownst to me, around the same time as I was in Mexico building a house, Pastor Mark was in Oregon spreading disease. Uh, <laughs> at Presbytery, a, 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 a regular meeting of EPC churches, um, he had caught the flu and was steadily getting worse. And uh, eventually, um, not only was he sick, but when I, my phone started working and I called my wife, Megan, I found out that she was sick as well. So poor, poor guys, Pastor Megan and uh, Pastor Mark this week have been ill. Um, both of them tried halfway through the week to come in and work a little bit in the office, only made it half a day before they had to go home and rest some more. And I was waiting. I was waiting for that call. Um, Friday afternoon, I got a phone call from Pastor Mark. He said, I can't do it. I'm too sick. I, I've just got to rest. You're on for Sunday. And I said, God will provide. God will provide. Amen. And then about two hours later, I started to get a light tickle in my throat. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't care if she has a flu or not. I can't resist kissing my wife. So here I am. About Saturday, uh, around lunch, I had um, about a 100-degree fever. And I said, God will provide. And here I am. God is providing. And he's provided me a, a throat lozenge, which I am sucking on right now. Uh, Sudafed. And most of all, he has provided his Holy Spirit. And if he wants his word spoken this morning, then it will happen. The gates of hell will not prevail against the Lord's church. Amen. So, isn't that what happens? When we follow Jesus, we end up called to entrust, entrusted with, uh, with his message, right? We are entrusted with his mission, with carrying him in front of the world. And sometimes we end up in situations just like this where you would say, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I've been entrusted to to do this thing, this calling that God has given me, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. How does the Lord provide in those kinds of situations? This is the story of Acts. As we've been reading through Acts, beginning in the beginning of Acts, when we saw the, the disciples, Jesus told them to go and wait. Go and wait. So he told them to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem before they went out to the world to spread his word, his gospel, to spread Jesus himself. And there they were in Jerusalem, and what happened? Pentecost happened, right? That's today. We're celebrating that today. Many of you are wearing red. Do you know why we wear red? What, is, what does red represent? Fire. Yes, yes. I'm wearing my red, red pants. Um, yes, so indeed, the Holy Spirit came in power and in fire with mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire. And with that purifying fire, the church grew. It exploded even. 3,000 on the first day and many, many more after that. But of course, the church, uh, as it is and as it was, is composed of human beings. And human beings are notoriously flawed. And as we see the development of the church, we see over and over some of the problems they encountered, including uh, a couple weeks ago we read about Ananias and Sapphira. Um, hypocrites. That was an old problem. It continues to be a problem, does it not, in the body of Christ. People can be hypocrites. Um, and today we, can, we encounter 
yet more problems. We see uh, an issue arise within the church um, of how to deal with um, a need that has arisen. How do we deal with this need that has arisen? So let's, let's read in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. I apologize, I did not have time to memorize this. So you will get it the old-fashioned way, straight from the book. Here we go. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, as we come before you to receive from your word, Lord, we understand that what we receive must come from you. So, Father, I ask for your Holy Spirit to speak through me, but I pray that my body will not be a hindrance. My throat, my voice will not be a hindrance, Lord, to what you would have for us today, this morning, I ask in your name. Amen. So when we look at Acts chapter 6, um, verse 1, we see this, this situation where um, a need arises. Uh, there's kind of this cultural clash between these Greek Jews and these uh, Hebrew Jews, and you find that the widows and orphans of the Greeks are not being well taken care of. As we know, language difficulties are a challenge. I experienced this this past weekend when I was in Mexico. It's very difficult to care for people and to be with people when you can't speak their language. So this is, this is a natural kind of problem. It's just arising out of our, our limitedness as, as human beings and the, and the situations we have in our world. And... Um, and then we see, how do the disciples deal with this? How do they go about solving this issue when a need arises in the church? You know, I think what's amazing about what they did is they recognized that everyone in the church has different gifts and different callings. Everyone in the church has different gifts and different callings. So, obviously, you and I are different people. Everyone in this room has a unique personality in Genesis chapter 2, it says that we are made in the image of God. And I believe that every single individual in some way reflects who God is in a unique way. And, you know, it only takes a little bit of thinking to recognize that this is true. For me personally, one of the most obvious ways that this kind of exhibits itself and makes itself plain to me is in my relationship with my wife. Opposites attract, right? That's a maxim. We can trust that. And uh, I, am, I am very different from my wife. Megan, it's a wonder to see her walk into a room full of people and become friends with every single person in that room. Have you seen this happen? 
Or if we're on a trip or we're going to the grocery store, she strikes up a conversation with a random stranger. And man, that person is her best friend. She is gifted at this. It is a unique way that God has gifted my wife. Now, on the other hand, if you were to put her through um, some one-on-one meetings, intense meetings, counseling meetings, it would drain her completely. But put me there, and I will walk out of that room with a skip in my step, um, because that's how God has made me. I love one-on-one meetings, and the more intense they are, the better. That's just who God has made me. So between my wife and I, we complement each other. Different personalities, different gifts, different callings. And that's how God has made the church. He is uniquely gifted, every single one of us, in some unique way. So when the disciples encountered this problem, this concern of responsibility to care for the widows, just as Jesus had instructed them to do, they recognized that there are different people in the church who have different callings and, and different gifts. So I want you to understand that when, when Peter, or um, it wasn't Peter, it was just the apostles in general, say, let us choose men from among us, because it is not right that we wait on tables, basically. This is not a, a kind of a of saying, you know, we're, that's, that's beneath us. That's not what they're saying. What they're recognizing is that that's not what we're called to. There's, that's not what we're called to. As, as apostles of Jesus, as, as the ones who sat at his feet, who were the first to receive instruction straight from the master, our calling is to preach the word and to pray. So we must find men who have the calling to serve these women. And, <clears throat> and that's what we see. We see them calling these men and, and calling them forward and, and giving this, this weighty, important responsibility that is specifically how God had made these men. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, go ahead and turn there with me. 20 years after the fact, the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinth, and he talks about this, how everyone has unique gifts in the church. Starting in verse 4. The Apostle Paul says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. He gives them to each one just as he determines. And that is true, isn't it? Each one, he says, he has given a gift to us. That's amazing if you think about it. Each one of you has a gift that the Lord has given you to serve in his body. It's not just me. It's not just the people on staff at this church. Each one of you has a gift and a responsibility to use that gift. Now, I'm sure you're thinking, how? How? How can I do this? Well, if you notice, in Acts chapter 6... What are the requirements 
or uh, basically the job responsibilities that they give him. Well, um, looking in verse 3, some versions of, uh, of Scripture will say the men of good repute, uh, but almost all of them will say full of the Spirit and wisdom. Now, of those three, which one do you think is the most important? Full of the Spirit, absolutely. Um, we've said that over and over these last couple of weeks. Where do we get any power that serves God from? The Spirit. Absolutely. The Spirit is the one who empowers us, who gives us our gifts. I'm sure as you were reading 1 Corinthians 12 a few minutes ago, you heard that through the Spirit, from the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit is the one who empowers us, the one who gives us what we need. And this is true. What God calls us for, he equips us for. What God calls us to, he equips us for. So he wouldn't say, here's a gift. Or he wouldn't say, go about my mission without giving us what we need. And we see this when we read the scriptures. Uh, John chapter 14, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In the Great Commission, one of the most important parts, I think, in Matthew 28 it's not just the commission itself, but the very end. He says, lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. He promises himself. He promises his presence with us and his power through us. And that is the Holy Spirit. So that we are enabled to do exactly what he has called us to do. And we must believe that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. For us to do exactly what he has called us to do. Nothing more, nothing less, just Jesus present to us through the Holy Spirit. Now, what's wonderful about this is that as Jesus calls us to do things, he doesn't necessarily withhold challenging circumstances from us, like having to preach on a Sunday morning with little notice, right? This is the way he calls us to do things, is he says, I'm going to ask you to do difficult things challenging things, wonderful things. But I give you my spirit to do them. You know, another example in my own life of, of where I've seen this happen is when, when Megan and I were called to Chapel Hill, we were actually uh, faced with another job opportunity at the same time. And it was really interesting to contrast this calling to Chapel Hill and this other job opportunity. It was to work as chaplains at a college in North Carolina. Now, if you know us, you know, uh, and if you know uh, much about ministry at all, you know the sweet spot, at least for me anyway, in ministry is with college-age students. These guys are so hungry. They're so easy to talk to. They'll sit there and talk to you for hours about Jesus and about other kind of stuff. And, and we had done college ministry for years, led small groups and, and taught in college ministry. It seemed like it would be an easy yes and then we come to Chapel Hill, and we're, we're presented with your faces and, and all of you guys, and the thought that we had is, Lord, how could we do this? How could we do this? You know, I've only been a pastor for three years, and it began when you guys called me. And I, in that moment, when we were faced with a, with a choice between these two jobs— we recognized there was a smooth path and then there was a rocky path. And one of these paths we knew we would have to depend entirely upon the Holy Spirit to learn, to grow. And the other path, well, that was easy. We'd done this before. We knew how. 
And when we recognized this, we said, you know what? I'd rather go on the rocky path with Jesus than on the smooth path, depending on my own ability. So that's why we're here. (laughs) And you see this. As we read through Acts chapter 6, and the story continues, uh, as you've read probably, Stephen, one of these men who's been called with the responsibility to serve the widows, he gets the opportunity to, to walk a rocky path. He becomes the church's first martyr. He pays for it with his life. But as you read through that passage, you cannot deny that Jesus was with him every step of the way, that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to say what he said, to do what he did. And certainly I don't think that's necessarily all of our callings to be martyrs. Uh, but we are called, we are gifted, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to do exactly what we are called. Jesus is enough for me and for you. Now, why? Why all of this? Why are we given gifts? Why are we empowered by the Holy Spirit? Well, there's one reason. We are entrusted with these gifts, with this calling, with this power to represent Jesus to the world. Nothing less, nothing more. You and I represent Jesus to the world through these gifts, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Again, the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Ephesians. And one of the most majestic passages of Scripture in the Bible about the Lord Jesus Christ And he ends it with these amazing words in verse 22. He says, And God placed all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Wow. Wow. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. In every way. The church. That's you guys. You are described as the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's amazing. When you think about it. Jesus as the one who came to earth. Taught 12 men. Went back into heaven. Has now said you guys. The ones who are gifted with gifts and callings, who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, now are my body, my hands, my feet, the fullness of him who fills everything. The church is far greater a thing than these four walls can hold. It is the hands and feet of Jesus lived out in this world for many people all over the place. And this, this is the work that Jesus has entrusted us to, to be his hands and his feet. As we were reading 1 Corinthians 12, you would have noticed that as it goes on, it talks about being the body of Christ and how we need each part of the body to serve the other part. And there is no part that does not work with the other part. And this is true. We need each other. We work together, and as we do, in the power of the Spirit, we represent Jesus to this world. 
And I see this happening at Chapel Hill. When I look at your faces and I know your stories and I hear about um, how God has gifted you, I see Jesus' hands and feet. Ray and Patty, your gift of hospitality is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And that gift is used to represent Jesus to a broken world. And many of you, gifts of wisdom, of faith, of healing, of service, of comfort, you represent Jesus to this world. I don't know about you, but that fills me with awe, with humility, with fear. I do not want to get in the way of Jesus. I do not want to be someone who misrepresents Jesus. And so that should put all of us on our knees asking for his Holy Spirit to empower us so that we may indeed be the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now many of you are probably asking, you know what, maybe I have not ever thought of what my gift or my calling is. How do I figure that out? You know, there's tests you can take. They actually have tests that you fill out kind of things, and some people have taken the spiritual gift inventories. I've taken this kind of a test. But what I would say to you is that without community, you will not discover your gifts. If you are a person who comes here and then leaves right after the service and never participates in any way in, in the community of this body, you will have a hard time understanding and knowing how God has equipped you as someone who has a gift from the Holy Spirit. So the way that you discover your gifts, the way that you discover how God has made you is to be in community, to serve in community, to be in a small group, to bounce off other people. And for everyone else, we encourage each other, call out the gifts that you see in other people. Let them know and say, you know what? I see in you a gift. I was able to do that this last weekend. Um, Vic, I don't know if Vic's here, Victorette. Victorette was on our, uh, on our mission trip to Mexico, and one of the things that Vic loves to do is sing. Vic will sing, and, and I told him, I said, Vic, you have the gift of singing in public. There's, there are very few men who will be brave enough to just lift up their voice and sing in front of anybody. But Victor was doing that, and he was singing on, on this uh, build site as we were working on houses. And what was unique about this trip is that there were four houses right next to each other, and all 41 of the men who were there could hear his voice. And later on, many of them reflected and said, you know what? When I heard Vic's voice, I was still. I was still. It encouraged me. And so I had to go to Vic, and I had to say, Vic, you have a gift. This is something that the Lord has given you to encourage us with your voice. And he wouldn't have discovered that unless he had been in community, unless he had been serving alongside of us, unless I had spoken to him in that way. We need community to understand what our gifts are. So living in community. But then you might ask, how do we live into this empowerment by the Holy Spirit. That's quite simple. Pray. Pray. Pray continually. Pray that the Holy Spirit would empower you. 
Ask him over and over. Live a life of dependence on him. So that when you encounter situations over and over, you're saying, Lord Jesus, I do not have the strength to do this, but you do fill me. Pastor Mark has shared with us a challenge to wake up every morning and saying, Holy Spirit, fill me. I hope you've been praying that prayer. But that is the life that we are to live. It is not just in the morning. It is step by step, moment by moment. Day by day, we pray continually. And we say, Holy Spirit, fill me. And believe me, he answers. He meets you right where you are. He provides what you need, when you need it, how you need it. Because Jesus is enough. So pray. And finally, how do we represent Jesus? How do we do that well? Well, my encouragement to you is just remember that that's what it's all about. You know, one of the challenges of walking with Jesus, of of being a disciple of Jesus, is that it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to think that this faith walk, this following Jesus is about something else. Jesus plus something else. Maybe it's Jesus plus Chapel Hill. Maybe it's Jesus plus your favorite program at Chapel Hill. Maybe it's Jesus plus the right beliefs. Maybe it's Jesus plus Pastor Mark. I don't know. But you know, that's the temptation that we have is we make it, you know what, it's not just about Jesus. It's about Jesus and, you know, something else. But this is really all about Jesus. All the sound and fury of Chapel Hill should lead just one place to one person, Jesus Christ. And we need to remind each other of that every day, all the time. To remember, Jesus Christ is the one. Jesus is the gospel. He is the one who heals everything. He is the one who makes us right with God. There is no other answer but Jesus. Let's remember that. So live in community. Pray continually. And love Jesus. And then you will find that the Lord has entrusted you with an amazing calling. An amazing gift and the power to do it. Amen.